But I feel like the feminist movement and feminism in general has really killed femininity mm. because you know, what society is telling girls now is that in order for you to be successful, in order for you to be everything you need to be, you just need to turn yourself into a pretty man. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Today's guest is one who is very near and dear to the hearts of all those that work tirelessly on making this podcast. Tiffany Fisher has been a member of our team for two years now, and she's one of those people that you just want to have around, always helpful, always willing, and always full of really bright ideas, and she can articulate them really well too. Now, Tiffany was born in Loma Linda University Hospital in Southern California, and after graduating with a bachelor's degree in nursing from Wima University, her life has now come full circle. She's employed as a registered nurse in the emergency pediatric division of the exact same hospital she was born in. And when she's not saving little kiddos' lives, she's usually whipping up a storm in the kitchen. And she has a serious baking talent too. In fact, you should probably check out her Instagram. But perhaps more relevant to why they did that, Tiffany is a deep student of the scriptures with a special eye for lessons women young and old can grasp from the word. So when we sat down to discuss this episode, the logical choice was to dive into the inspiring story of the Bible's first female prophet and judge, Deborah. Now, we've spent a fair bit of time in the book of Judges on this show. It really does make for really interesting storytelling, whether it be Samson's up and down relationship with God or Gideon's bravery coupled with his own idolatry. It's fair to say that at this time, Israel is a mess. And while we are introduced to a number of judges throughout the book, Deborah really does stand out. Not because of what she is, yes, a woman, but because of who she is. She's a real leader, not one that requires sword and shield, but tact and wisdom and a deep and constant connection to her God. And it's that more than anything that makes Deborah's story worth telling. When I first read the story, I was really caught by how she's introduced because I think it's quite specific. Mm. We first see that she's introduced as a prophetess. Mm-hmm. And then following that, we're told that she's the wife of Lapidoth and she judged Israel at that time. So there's three specific roles that she's given here. She's a prophet, a wife, and a judge. Mm-hmm. And they're mentioned specifically in that order. And I think we can get from this that Deborah had her priorities straight. Right. She she knew that her first priority was to God. Mm-hmm. And then after that, she cared for her family mm-hmm. and filled in the role as the judge of Israel for her time. Those three roles defined her as three different sides of who Deborah was. Mm-hmm. And they all worked together to obviously accomplish what God's plan for her was in, in the story. Right. And she has these multiple roles, which... You know, um, she has to find a way to juggle and mm-hmm. to do well because to slack at any of these three is going to mean trouble. No, you for know, sure. if you're a bad prophet or a bad judge, the people are going to rebel. 
mm-hmm. or the character of God will be brought into question. And mm-hmm. of course, if you're also rejecting your duties as a wife, then that's going to lead to problems in how you do the rest of your work also. What I love about this is, is in the next verse where it says, and she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah. Yes. Now, obviously, there wasn't a palm tree of Deborah. Mm-hmm. It became known as the palm tree of Deborah. Um, but just this idea that she is this kind of mother in Israel where the people come to her. Right. You know, that she's a judge like like the judges before her and those that come after also, and a prophet. But you get almost a, a different vibe mm-hmm, from how sure. this woman operates mm-hmm. because the people, they come to sit by her at the palm tree. And, you know, who could ever be scared of a woman at a palm tree? <laughs> but when you think of the other judges or the other prophets, when they would show up, there was a sense of dread right. or even a sense of this like godly fear that, oh no, you know, Samuel's coming to town. What have we done? Have you all done your sacrifices? But with Deborah, there's this kind of vibe that she almost, she shepherds the sheep. She cares for them mm-hmm. and watches over them, communes with them and, and hangs out with them outside of her house. And I, I just think it, it gives us a picture of of what a what a woman brings to these roles that we so often see dominated by men. Mm, I love that. And I think especially looking at the context of the book of Judges. Mm. The book of Judges is an intense book. Yeah. You read it, there's a lot of crazy stories that mm-hmm. oftentimes teachers will try and weave their way around. <laughs> right. And this is just a completely different side to mm. the book of Judges. And I think it's because it's through the eyes of a woman. Right. And what she brings to the story When I think of the story of Deborah, I often go back to the little blue books Mm. and you see this picture of this old lady who's sitting out in front of this big wall by a tree. Mm -hmm. And when I read this story, I don't necessarily see Deborah as being this lady in her Mm seventies who's, you know, sitting out there talking to all these people. Right. I mean, there's no reason to believe that she couldn't have been, you know, maybe in her thirties or forties, middle age, she could have had kids running around and that's why they came to her home. Mm. And I think that there's just so much to the life of Deborah that we don't get to see. Deborah was quite the multitasker. Now, of course, we all have multiple roles in life, different hats that we wear for different occasions, but rarely are we called to bear the weight of three truly heavy roles. But it seems as though she's taken all of this in her stride. I think she likely reveled in the expectancy that she would hold down her house as well as her entire nation. That she would be a mother to Israel. Another judge, sure, but different. And when difference is defined by the designer himself, then it's something to be celebrated. Women and men were created with intentional differences. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know God did that on purpose. The whole process of marriage is to define the other. Mm. And I think there's beauty to be found in realizing the differences that we have. And we can actually come to a point where we realize that we're equal without being equivalent. There's a difference between being the exact same and having the same value. And I think that's something that we see here very well. Uh I think today... People have overly romanticized the idea of the working side of of Deborah's life here. Um, perhaps if this was to be written today, it would say, "And there was Deborah, this mighty, you know, president of the United States. She was the ruler of her country. She was this great person who had all of this power and influence, mm-hmm. and she judged everybody. And she was a prophetess who had this 
divine inspiration. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she was a wife on right. the side. Just or maybe she was single. I think the story would be even better if she wasn't married in today's society. Mm -hmm. yeah. But looking at that, we've overly romanticized the working side of Deborah mm -hmm. here. And not to say it's not as important, I think these three aspects of who she was are all equally important and mm -hmm. they all define who she is. But to say now, as, as a woman that I do want to have a family one day, I do right. want to have kids, I want to be able to nurture that side of, of my life, you really can't say that anymore without getting dirty looks. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really quite sad. Yeah. Because we've said to be successful now, you have to have this corporate job, be mm -hmm. an entrepreneur or a doctor or a lawyer and all of these things. But if I were to say, when I grow up, I want to be a mom, you're going to get dirty looks. But I think it's because we've lost sight of the beauty that comes from being different. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, today's all about equality. It's all about being the same. Everything that has to do with being a woman or being a man, if, if it defines you in any way as being different, it's mm -hmm. sexist. Right. And I think that's kind of where that change has come from. And so now if I'm, if I'm, making the statement that I want to have a family, I get deemed as one of two things. Either I'm lazy and I don't want to work. <laughs> and that's not true. Ask right. any mother who has a baby right. or four of them. You're definitely working all day long. Uh -huh. Or I'm just desperate and want to get married. Mm. There's, there's, no, there's no winning side to yeah. that argument unless you are very confident in who God created you to be. Right. And, and you believe that in his time, he will, he will work things out. I've kind of seen this obviously from the the opposite angle mm -hmm. um, in that my wife and I, we came here uh, primarily so that I could, you know, study theology and get my degree. Um, and now that's that's done and dusted. Naturally, we've kind of talked about, you know, what what's she going to do? And especially being on a, a um, higher education campus where like everyone and their dog has a degree. <laughs> so true. You know, it, mm -hmm. it, you can feel that pressure, I think, as a woman, because I know that she has, mm -hmm. where she just feels, oh, I'm, I must have some sort of career. I must have this qualification so that I have a, a kind of respectable social standing. But deep down, I also know that whilst she hasn't not wanted a career, she's also really wanted to be a mother. Mm -hmm. And... It's, it seems like that, that's that been a really difficult thing to, as it probably was for Deborah, uh, to juggle and to kind of understand that there are going to be desires for mm -hmm. you to want a sense of achievement. Um, but then there's also for many women, and I don't think that that society has done itself any favors here, but there is going to be the desire to do one of the things that mm -hmm. God has created women to do, which is childbearing and and to to love mm -hmm. as a mother loves mm -hmm. and for me as a as a father it means a lot like i understand the sacrifice mm. that my wife is making to say i'll put aside mm. whatever i wanted to do so that i can fulfill this role gladly of looking after our children and taking up the responsibility to make sure they become good Christian people. And that 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 gives me a sense of of assurance and satisfaction. But at the same time I know that that's a that's a big call to make, but it's one that she finds fulfillment in. Mm -hmm. 
That's beautiful. And I think that goes into the fact that women who decide to prioritize their mm -hmm. lives like Deborah, they need supportive people in their lives yeah. that are going to encourage them through mm -hmm. that. Um, there's a quote that I love from one of my favorite books written by Elizabeth Elliott. It's called Let Me Be a Woman. Mm -hmm. And it has helped me so much in my journey to figuring out what biblical femininity should look like mm -hmm. and how God created us to be. And oh. she makes this this the statement that Women who, well, specifically, she says intellectual women, mm -hmm. intellectual women living in a Christian society have a difficult enough time without adding insult to injury. Mm. That's that's how the quote goes. And in the chapter, it goes on to talk about how these people are getting fought by both sides. Mm -hmm. And it's so important for a person who has decided that they want this type of life, that they want to have this balance between being the prophet, the the wife, and the judge, mm -hmm. that they need to have support from whether it's their husbands or their close friends or their parents. They mm -hmm. need to have people lifting them up, right. that they're not less valuable or they're not less useful because they haven't cho chosen to just go based on what they want to do as a career. They've mm -hmm. balanced themselves well, and they need to be encouraged in that. Yeah. And it goes on to say that in the perfect marriage, or I guess no marriage is perfect outside of the garden, but in God's ideal for marriage, mm -hmm. your success should be your husband's success and your husband's success should be your success. Oh, yes. And so when you have that outlook of I'm not trying to make this life for myself, mm -hmm. I'm helping to build this life for my family, right. then you're fulfilled on both sides of the coin. Yes. And I think that's what we get from this picture of Deborah here. That's such a a shift though, in right? mentality. That's and not I, what we think right now. Right. And I, that's experientially and, and subconsciously, because now that you're saying it, I'm like, wow, that's, I've seen that, you know, I've mm -hmm. seen times when, when we've accomplished things together that maybe we never thought we would. Mm -hmm. And the satisfaction that one gains from that experience, I think trumps any satisfaction that you could get from having accomplished that as an individual, mm -hmm. because how much more difficult is it to accomplish it with someone else that's completely different to you. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. And you know, it's really funny because there was this point where I was really struggling with mm. my identity and what mm -hmm. God called me to be and what I was supposed to do with my life. Right. And I was kind of pouring out all of my heart's desires. Like I want to be a mother and I want to be a doctor and I want to be all of these things. Mm -hmm. And one of my mentors, she just kind of looked at me and she smiles and she laughed and she was like, you know what? This is funny. Because your problems would be completely solved if God had just made you a father. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know what? You're kind of right. Because I think it's so easy to look at that and be like, oh, I could have this super fulfilling career and mm -hmm. go to this, you know, get this high education and then come home to right. a family and yeah. be completely fulfilled in that. Mm -hmm. And that kind of is what got my ball rolling because I couldn't, I wasn't happy with that answer. Like, mm. Why couldn't I be just as fulfilled and content and complete in being a mother? Why did I have to be a father? Like, right. why would she say that? Yeah. And, and I think that's why I love Deborah so much mm. is her story is so simple. Yeah. It really is quite simple. Um, most of what we're going to talk about is on one page in the Bible. It's mm. very, very simple. And yet it's the essence of what I feel biblical femininity should look like. And the story goes on and says that Deborah called Barak the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go out and draw towards Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun. So we see that Deborah is calling the soldier. Mm. And 
it's interesting how she confronts him because she says, hath not the Lord commanded you saying. Right. So we could easily infer here that God had gone to Barak first. Mm-hmm. He had probably tried to reach out on his own. We see mm-hmm. that with most of the other judges like Gideon and all these right. people who he comes to and asks them to go out and deliver Israel. But here, Barak didn't listen to God. Mm-hmm. And yet instead of moving on to the next person, God's like, no, I want you. Right. Like This is supposed to be you. Mm-hmm. But he needs to have a reminder. He needs right. to have someone who's kind of pushing him in the right direction. And I got to this point of thinking, you know, why is that necessary? Like, right. Why did Barak need Deborah? Right, what yeah. role does she have in this? Because obviously God's not going to have Deborah as this woman go out with her sword and shield and go out and kill all these people. Right. I mean, arguably she could, but I don't think that's what God intended here. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that Deborah was a very independent and confident standalone type woman, but Barak was not an independent man. Right. He, he did not have that identity. He was not confident in himself and what God called him to do. So why would Deborah be helpful to him? Barak's faith is not really mm. where it needs to be in order for God to, to use him to gain this victory. Mm-hmm. You know, he, God clearly wants this man to step up and to head out and just go toe-to-toe with his 900 chariots. But it just seems he's not there yet. And who better, I think, than to have the mother of Israel <laughs> yeah. just stand up and, and say, okay, this is what God has said. Let's go and do it. Mm-hmm. And I think as Barak, obviously as a soldier and as a man, he's not expecting Deborah to come in as his, you know, right hand man wielding mm-hmm. a sh- sword and shield in battle. I think he realizes that he needs her in a different way. And I think we see that because, you know, man was never meant to be alone. God right. doesn't, he didn't design us to do anything by ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's oftentimes this need of, we need someone to support us and yeah. to encourage us. And even just to help us to see things that we can't see for ourselves. And I think that's kind of where we see the supportive role that Deborah has in encouraging him because her faith is obviously stronger than his at this Mm -hmm. point. She knows what God's going to do through him. And he just needed to hear it from someone else. And I think sometimes we maybe just need to have someone to encourage us in that way. And this reminds me of something um, someone once told me. One of my, my principal in academy had this tradition of at graduation, he Mm -hmm. would have all the seniors stand up and he would say, some really nice things about each of us and what he, you know, learned from us or what Mm -hmm. we gave to the school during our time there. And when it came my turn for graduation, I just remember he was super to the point. He was just like, Tiffany, you're very persuasive. Mm. And at first I was a little taken aback by it. And Mm. I laugh at it now because at the time I was, I was looking at all my friends and thinking, oh, so-and-so is known for being kind or so-and-so is known for being funny or you know, this person is known for being a really hard worker and all of this stuff. And why was my last parting thing that I left on my mm. school being persuasive? Like right. I saw it as being a really negative thing. And it kind of bothered me for a little while until I really sat down and thought about it. And I talked to um, him about it and people about it. And like, what does this mean to be persuasive? And I think it's not always a bad thing to be persuasive. Mm. I think, and what I've learned is he meant by that is that I encourage people to do things. I was able to talk people into doing things they didn't think they could do mm. on their own. And I think that is a, that is a really good thing. That's a mm-hmm. gift that God has given to people to encourage right. one another. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we see Deborah being very persuasive here. She is telling Barak, like, you can do this. 
God's given you the victory already. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you can do this. And we see it eventually that he, his doubt still leads him to not actually get to kill Sisera. That's given to another woman, yep. which is a story for another day. Mm-hmm. But Deborah's persuasive encouragement here mm-hmm. is what eventually gets him into battle and gets this ball rolling and right. eventually delivers Israel. Even though she's playing the part of encouraging Barak to rise to the occasion and serve his God in a mighty way, Deborah is no mere supporting character. She's front and center. The Bible has often been accused of relegating women to the role of sidekick, if their importance is even touched on at all. But just as there are things that men usually do better than women, there's also tons of things that women are usually better at than men. Sometimes as men, we feel as though we always need to be leaders. I learned through nine months of watching my wife subconsciously grow a whole living baby inside of her, that sometimes we just need to take a step to the side and play the supportive role as our women shine in whatever God has bid them to do. The reality is that God made men so that he could be seen through men. And God made women so that he could be seen through women too. looking at the age we're living in right now where a lot of people are being confused about what gender roles mean. Mm -hmm, Is it even important? Is it even supposed to be different? I think when we look back at God's plan, we can realize that we were very intelligently designed. God did it all for a very specific reason. Mm -hmm. And we can reflect on how God's love is is shown through those things. Mm -hmm. And when we express ourselves and when we fulfill the plan that God has for us, that's where ultimately we're the most happy. Right. I think that's ultimately where we feel the most fulfillment. God didn't make mistakes mm-hmm. when he made us. You know, if we do believe in intelligent design, if we do believe that we have this all-knowing creator who, you know, has has purposefully and intentionally made things as though they are, then I've been given a set of tools within my self, within my frame, within my masculinity that are going to help me to successfully navigate this life. And it, it I mean, I, I'm, I am worried when I look out and see the amount of confusion um, when it comes to quote unquote gender fluidity, mm. you know, where, where you have young men that, that believe that they're actually young women and young women that believe that they're actually mm-hmm. young men and the actual damage mm-hmm. that that causes. And especially as that now creeps into or maybe just walks in proudfully to the church and starts to affect young Christians also I think that we are we are actually confessing that we don't believe in intelligent design Mm. we don't believe in an intentional creator we don't believe that God has made us the way that we are and has given us abilities in that to overcome the trials that life is going to throw at us. And as as this becomes more and more confusing, I can only see more and more pain Mm. as we leave God's ideal for what he has created us to be. In my mind, that only leads to more sin. It only leads to more suffering. Mm. And so this story here where you've got a woman who is 
completely empowered in her role and and stands up and does what she needs to do and encourages a man to stand up and take his role i really feel like that's a message that needs mm-hmm. to be pushed today that yeah. we can be who god made us to be and help each other get to the destination he has for us mm-hmm. and god's not sexist <laughs> right god is perfect and i think we see that in in verse 8 here um, Barak responds to Deborah after mm-hmm. he is reminded of his obligation to God. And he says, if thou wilt go with me, mm-hmm. then I will go. But if thou right. will not go with me, then I will not go. He kind of puts the ball in her court. Mm-hmm. And she responds to him saying, surely I will go with thee, but notwithstanding the journey that thou takest, basically it won't be for your own honor. Yeah. She, she says, I will go. You're still going to fulfill this obligation to God. You're going to do what he called you to, but you're not going to get the honor for this because the Lord's going to sell Sisera into the hand of another woman. Right. So here she she puts, it's actually really kind of funny on Deborah's part. It's a bit mm-hmm. ironic. And I feel like she kind of um, says this very well because she puts the ball in his court. He tosses it back to her. And then she is like, okay, fine. I'll give it to someone completely different. Mm-hmm. But that person's going to be a woman. Right. And I think the reason why God uses another woman here is not only to lift up the power that, women can have Mm -hmm. and the beauty and femininity having Mm -hmm. the strength behind it. But it's also to humble Beric a little bit. Because I mean, imagine if you were this guy, Mm -hmm. this soldier who was probably pretty well known in his area and you had just declined liberating your people to be beat by a woman. Yeah. I mean, that must have been humbling to him Mm -hmm. to some extent as well. But it's beautiful because it shows that Deborah not only lifted up this other woman, obviously God's not sexist. We've Mm -hmm. already, we've already established this. But she's still happy in her role as a supporter here, even mm-hmm. though another woman's going to get the glory for it. Right, yes. And in her song, in the following chapter, she sings the praises of Jael above herself. Mm. And this just shows how humble she was wow. and how confident she was. Because wow. it takes a confident person to be humble. And I feel like Deborah acknowledging these limitations, because she she went into this battle knowing that she wasn't going to be in imminent danger. She mm-hmm. wasn't going to have a sword. She wasn't right. going to be running around killing people. They yeah. weren't going to be killing her. She was very comfortable right. riding in this chariot with Beric. Realizing that she's going to be going into this battle in a different capacity. Right. She's not going to be killing people. Yep. People aren't going to be trying to kill her. She's just going to sit in the chariot and stand there mm-hmm. <laughs> and testify of God's goodness. And I think as a woman, if I can come to this point of acknowledging my differences, mm. acknowledging my insecurities, even as a person in general, this doesn't just have to be for women. Yeah. This can be for everybody. When we acknowledge our weaknesses, no one can hold them against us. Mm. We've already processed them. We understand them. We've accepted them. Right. And accepting God's definition of who I should be and more specifically what I was made for, mm. this is the first step in turning the enemy's weapons into my wings. Because not even the devil can hold those weaknesses against me. What makes Deborah's story so inspiring is her relatability. She doesn't appear as a souped-up hero or a god. She's a woman. She's a leader. She's a mother. She's a wife. And her heart is sold out for God and his people. When we return, we'll look at the gift of singleness and how Deborah, a married woman, can inspire those whose time for marriage has not yet come. Don't go anywhere. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. In 
If you've listened to the second season of Why They Did That, you'll recognize our sponsor for this episode. Types and Symbols, the creators of the Conflict Beautiful series, is happy to introduce a new beautiful set that they call the Life and Light Collection. Types and Symbols set out to create the most beautiful and readable edition of Steps to Christ, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, and Christ Object Lessons ever made. Each component of these beautifully created books was implemented with specific meaning and purpose. From the holographic foil detail to the cover design. Just as with the Conflict Beautiful series, the Life and Light collection follows the same editorial philosophy to promote an enjoyable reading experience. To stay updated on when this will be released, make sure to follow their Instagram at Types and Symbols. Do it now, quick. A Christian without a Bible is like a soldier without a sword. You can't win a battle like that. So we would like to introduce you to Humble Lamb Bibles. Humble Lamb's goal is to present the Word of God in a way that compels people to read it and thus connect with God more intimately. They make wonderfully crafted premium Bibles filled with cross-references, beautiful annotations, and many more built-in study tools. In addition to their King James Lion Bible, they are now excited to offer the new King James Shepherd Edition in a variety of beautiful colors. And get this, for every Bible they sell, they give another Bible away for free to those who can't afford one. And you can actually get 20% off when you use the code WTDT when you check out at HumbleLamb.com. Deborah is a role model for both men and women. She's holding everything down, and yet at the same time, she's lifting everyone up. She makes those around her better, and that's just the mark of a good person, a real Christian, a real woman. She's a helpmeet, and yet her own person. Her individuality is completely intact, yet she still finds the time to pour into others. And if that's not the embodiment of Christianity, laying your life down for others, esteeming others as being higher than yourself, then I clearly don't know what Christianity is. What does it mean to be a wife? Hmm. I, I, I love this I think it was like an Instagram reel or something that went viral that I mm -hmm. saw. That was this guy talking about what does it mean to walk like a wife? Mm. Well, walking like a wife before you're married. Um, because it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Proverbs 31. Yeah, exactly. The classic um, biblical femininity example mm -hmm. we were given. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. It doesn't say he who finds a girl finds a good thing. Mm. It's he who finds a wife. So obviously she was a wife before he found her. Right. And so what does that mean? It's not that he found this woman and then made her his girlfriend and then made her his fiance mm -hmm. and then he made her his wife. It's like she was already a wife. She was walking like a wife. She had mm -hmm. those characteristics of a Proverbs 31 woman. She had built herself up in this way that when he found her, she was complete in her role as a wife. She mm -hmm. was complete in her role as a woman. So he who finds wow. a wife finds a good thing. I can be developing those characteristics of being a godly woman 
mm. and being quote unquote a godly wife right. while I'm being single. And you can fulfill those those sides of your heart without having to be in a romantic relationship. Mm. And I think we see that in Deborah's story very, very clearly. Oh. And that brings a lot of comfort to me as, as a single person, because we always hear singleness is a gift. Mm. And again, Elizabeth Elliot, one of my favorite authors, brings out this point that it's not a gift if I choose it. Mm. It's only a gift if it's given to me. And there's no fun in knowing what your gift's going to be. Mm. So if I were to come up to you and just you know, give you this thing, you may or may not like it, but it's the gift that I'm giving you. Mm. And so God may choose to give us the gift of singleness for a time or the gift of marriage for a time. And I think understanding that your identity can be maybe emphasized in those roles, but is not defined by those roles is mm. super important for, for a single person. Do you ever find, um, do you ever find it a little patronizing though? when people talk about the gift of singleness just in the sense where you know i've been in a relationship for longer than i've not been in a relationship like in my life and i hear obviously from a different perspective a lot of people talk about you know when you go to like um, seminars or conventions where they're going to talk about marriage and they say well you know if you're not married yet that's okay because singleness is a gift i almost feel as if and and this is going to sound so judgmental um, as if they don't really mean that, as if they're kind of <laughs> saying it just to compensate oh, for, for a fact. And I think if I was in that situation, that'd probably annoy me. <laughs> absolutely. I think it, it can be so frustrating, which is why I wanted to talk about this today, mm. because I feel especially I don't know how guys feel about these things. Right. I'm sure that in some way they they relate to this, too. But I can just speak from my side mm. as as being a single woman who's you know never been in a relationship. I've already gone through all the Christian schools, the Christian colleges, the whole concept of if you haven't met someone by the time you graduate from a Christian college, mm. you know, you're kind of out of luck. Wow. So I've definitely been in that situation, which is why I feel so passionate about mm. encouraging girls with this. If you were to give a talk on singleness mm -hmm. and how it's such a blessing, I would just be sitting in the audience saying, okay, you are telling me that drinking water is the best thing I can do for my body. It's mm -hmm. the healthiest. It's the liquid God designed humanity mm -hmm. to drink. Mm -hmm. And you're just sitting there sipping this chocolate milkshake <laughs> and you're just drinking it and you can drink as many of them as you want. You'll uh -huh. never gain weight. You'll never get sick. Mm. You can just drink all of the ice cream you want. And yet you tell me that water is the best thing I can have. Mm -hmm. It's the best thing that I need to enjoy because there will be a time when I have to give my water away and God will give me a chocolate milkshake. Mm. And that will be, you know, a wonderful day but I need to enjoy the water for as long as I can. <laughs> and it can get kind of frustrating unless you have the right perspective, mm. which is why I find Deborah so encouraging mm. because you can still find fulfillment in those roles without necessarily having to be tied to a specific right. person, which obviously I'm not saying I don't want to get married one day, Sure, but you don't have to wait for that. So when it comes to these kind of uh, platonic relationships, you know, how, what would you say to people that are single that, because I feel like there's a lot of pressure nowadays, especially for young people, that you have to be romantically mm -hmm. involved. And if you're not, then, you know, you've something done something wrong. With you. wrong. <laughs> you know, how, mm -hmm. how do you address that? I think the first thing to realize is don't let your dreams for the future rob you of loving your present. It's so easy to get caught up in my future home, my future family, mm. what my future kids are going to be named and what they're right. going to look like and yeah. where we're going to live and all this stuff. And castle building to a certain extent, I think, is natural. Mm -hmm. But you can't let that 
overshadow where God's placed you right now. Right, right. I have definitely had my fair share of quote unquote walking like a wife moments Mm -hmm. while being completely single. Mm -hmm. And I think um, marriage is a beautiful thing because it reveals to us the relationship we're supposed to have with God. That's kind of what he designed it to be was to reflect Mm. the image of, of our creator. And as a single person, there are, there are things that you lack or that you think you lack or that you're told that you lack Mm -hmm. that you can only get inside of a relationship. Mm. And this is why sometimes singleness seminars frustrate me is because they'll tell you, well, just date Jesus Mm. and until the right person comes along and I just sit there and I'm like, well, okay, I'm, I'm dating Jesus but I still don't feel completely fulfilled. And that makes you almost feel guilty because you know you have Christ and that's all that you need and that's mm-hmm. all you're told you should ever need. And as I've been reading through the story of Deborah and reading through, you know, just scripture in general, I've seen this picture of um, there's two sides to every coin. There's two sides to every aspect of, of our lives. And I think marriage is no different. Mm. There's two sides to this story. And the part that we're always told we can get from God is is what we receive from marriage, like what I expect mm-hmm. to receive from someone. Mm-hmm. And those are things like as a woman, you want to feel like loved and the security and um, having a sense of, you know, that intimate relationship with mm-hmm. someone that you can trust them. You can right. ask them for things. You can open your heart to someone. And those are all things that I can get from God. Mm-hmm. And I feel I have gotten from my personal life with, with the Lord. And mm-hmm. I feel filled in that aspect. But the problem comes with the other half of right. marriage that you can't really you can't really fully have just through a spiritual life, which is the giving side of marriage. God always knew that. Exactly. And yes, you can have this super close relationship with God. But when we go back to that statement that it is not good for man to be alone, and obviously that applies to women also, God said that when it was Adam and God, mm-hmm. when they, when Adam had a relationship with God, a completely fulfilling, perfect, walking with, seeing relationship with God mm-hmm. and God still right. said that it's not good for man to be alone. So I think that yes, you can be in that place um where as you're as a single person that you find a lot of these things in your relationship with God, but that doesn't mean that you also shouldn't have the desire to find some of those things in someone else. Right. And I think um that's that's another wonderful point to make is that Eve never even had that experience. Mm. She just woke up and Adam was there. Right. And <laughs> There you go. This is this is how your life is going to be. This is mm-hmm. my perfect ideal for you. But I think removing ourselves from that situation, because obviously I'm not Eve. Mm-hmm. I, my, my single experience with God is going to be different than hers. Right. And I think even going back to your previous question about how your platonic relationships can play into this side of things. I've, I've realized as I've gotten older and maybe more mature in my views of why I want to get married one mm-hmm. day is that. Until that time comes, I can still fulfill those roles through my relationships with whether it's my brother or my Mm -hmm. dad or my guy friends or Mm -hmm. my girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And I think the side of marriage that women want to to give can be fulfilled in your relationship to just the rest of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's going to sound super, super tacky. But coming from someone who's experienced it, Mm -hmm. I, I think that is true because there are things that, you know, I always say my love language is, is acts of service, but more specifically, my love language is food. <laughs> I love to cook and bake for people. Mm-hmm. I love to, I love to just express myself that way. Mm-hmm. And it's not like while you're dating Jesus, you can cook him breakfast. Right. You know, it's such a, it's such a, <laughs> it's such a petty example. Mm-hmm. But those I think are the things that 
when I was younger, I didn't realize that was what mm, I was missing. Right. Like I didn't know that was why I was feeling the way I was feeling. But the older I've gotten and the more mature maybe I've come in mm-hmm. realizing what it means to you know, be completely content in yourself and in the woman God created you to be, yet also understanding that your role is meant to be more than that. Mm. And just finding ways. I mean, I've worked on essays with multiple people. I've done projects with friends. I have been a big sister mm-hmm. <laughs> for a long time. And I've realized that you can you can get the love from God and give it to other people. Mm. And that is that is a really big thing we see in Deborah here because although we know she's married, in this story, she's on her own. Yeah. And she is getting her encouragement from the Lord and then she's giving that to to Barak, mm. who is a platonic friend at this point. Right, yeah. You know, there there's nothing going on in this yeah. story. <laughs> and I would just encourage people, you know, girls, guys, whoever, if they're, if they're struggling with feeling content and being single, maybe this is the half that they're missing. Mm. Maybe they're focused too much on what they're not getting and they're not realizing that they're feeling the way they're feeling because they're not giving. Look, I know for some people, there's no right way to address singleness. Some are just resigned to unhappiness until that special person comes into their life. But perhaps that's why they haven't come yet. No, this is not a case of one size fits all. But this particular shoe might just be your size. Regardless, the point stands strong. Learn to love, to give, to serve, and to bless others, even when it's not necessarily reciprocated in the way that you may have hoped for. I think it's important for any person, not just woman, but for any person who maybe is struggling with their purpose Mm -hmm. to really just sit down with themselves, with their Bible, with their journal, and try and identify the things that they feel like they're lacking. But I feel like the feminist movement and feminism in general has really killed femininity Mm. because you know, what society is telling girls now is that in order for you to be successful, in order for you to be everything you need to be, you just need to turn yourself into a pretty man, hmm. pretty much. Oh. And um, there was a story I read once of this pilot. This was in the early 1900s, and it was this woman who really wanted to, to learn how to fly. She wanted mm-hmm. to be a pilot. And she tells her testimony of how she had to really fight to get into flight school mm. because, you know, back then, uh, women didn't fly planes. Right. And she had, to, she had to fight and apply over and over again, and she had to work really, really hard to get into this flight school. Mm-hmm. And once she got into the flight school... She had to fight with her colleagues and with her peers. And it was her and a bunch of men. Mm. It was just her and all of these guys who were learning how to fly these planes. And she talks about her experience as being really difficult because she was in a place that women were not traditionally supposed to be. And she was swimming against the current. And most people would say, oh, this is a wonderful example of of a woman stepping out of oppression and doing this, this thing. And I think people could use it as a very pro-feminist story. Mm. But how she concludes her testimony to me makes all the difference. Mm. Because what she says is throughout her whole time in school, after she graduated, trying to get a job at an airline, she says that she fought with her colleagues and she fought with her men to have equal rights as a pilot, but she would never compromise her ladylike qualities. She's mm. like, I would never, I would never want to fight with a man about being a man. Wow. I can be a pilot. 
I'm not going to turn myself into a man. Mm. And I think that's kind of where the difference comes now in erasing these gender roles is that I can be a pilot and I can still be a lady. Right. <laughs> like she, she consciously made that distinction mm. like Deborah did. She consciously made this distinction to have this outside of the home experience. Mm-hmm. Like she wasn't just going to sit at home all day, but she, she says that she would rather be treated like a lady than just treated like another person. Mm. And I think that makes all the difference. Wow. And I mean, we see this even today. Now I, I was reading an article a while back about this school now that doesn't have freshmen <laughs> because freshmen are sexist and because of the, because, um, because of the term. Yeah. And I just thought it was so weird because they all, they go around calling all of their first year students fresh people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, how funny is this? And we could even go back a couple months ago to that prayer that went viral uh-huh. with a man and a woman. <laughs> and Sheesh. I mean, come on, we've just gone so far. Mm. We've gone so far. And I think we've completely lost the point. And that's what's kind of tearing our society apart at the very mm. at the very foundation is we've now decided that equality in value means equality in purpose. Mm. And the two the two don't go hand in hand. They're right. completely separate from each other. And so that was one of the things that got me pushed on this personal journey of mine is that I I do have I mean I've been considered um, a rather intense person. I have very, very big goals and I have things I want to do and I have all of these this internal drive to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to balance that between my desire to also be a mother and be right. a wife and have a home and all of this stuff. It was just so confusing, mm. which is why I want to encourage, especially younger girls now, to not take what society says you need to do to be successful, but to look at what God says you need to do to be successful. Mm. And... This kind of hit a climax when I was starting out um, college. I decided I was gonna I was gonna do nursing school, but I got a lot of a lot of flack from a really? lot of people in my life. Um, I had you know family members telling me I was selling myself short. I had professors even telling me I was selling myself short. And I remember being called into the office um, of one of my favorite teachers, and it was a very good conversation. But he mm. told me he he sat me down. Um, this was my freshman year. And he's like, Tiffany, fresh, fresh person year. Oh, <laughs> my fresh person year of college. And he sat me down and he's like, Tiffany, you need to be a physician. Um, as opposed to a nurse. As opposed to a nurse. Mm. He's, he's like, I'm, and I don't say this to glow. I say it because I think I need to make a point. Um, he said, I, I've looked at your grades. You're the top of my class or one, you know, one of the tops of my class. Um, all these people who are wanting to go into medicine, like you're, you are completely, you could be in the running with them. Mm. Like you belong in this side. Right. And. I mean, I had to really process what that meant because in the same way that I don't think a woman is anything less than a man, I don't think a nurse is anything less than a, less than a physician. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd already come to that conclusion. It was more about what I wanted to do on the day-to-day on the floor than the prestige of the career. That's never been what it's about for me. But just being faced with that made me think about, you know, so many people saying I was selling myself short by being a nurse. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has nothing to do with being, um, whether you're saying it's sexist or it's me making an excuse for myself. I think it's just a very genuine part of my experience was this wrestling between being a nurse and a, and a, and a physician. I get to the cafeteria a little bit late and I sit down and there's no one there. So I sit by myself mm. and this person comes up and sits down next to me and he and I hadn't ever met before. And so he was asking me you know, what my major was, what mm-hmm. I was doing at Weimar, what my plans were for the future. And so I just gave him a very brief, very, very, very brief explanation of kind of my story. Mm-hmm. And I just remember he he 
said something that I will never forget. He looked at me and he said, yeah, well, you have full control over becoming a doctor. You don't have control over becoming a, 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 a wife. Mm. Like someone, you can choose to be a doctor. Someone's going to have to choose to marry you. Wow. <laughs> and that might not happen for you. It's actually statistically likely that it won't. And I remember in that moment just thinking, first, ouch, <laughs> like yeah. that kind of hurt. Um, someone telling you, well, someone's going to have to choose to marry you. You can't choose to be a wife. Um, that's very, very true. And I had to think about that. And in that moment, I was faced to, to answer this question that had been kind of stirring around in my heart all throughout Academy when I made this decision, which is, if I knew 10 years down the road, I still wouldn't be married. I still wouldn't have kids. I would still be, um, you know, as I am now, just single. Would that change my decision? Mm. Like if I knew that I wasn't going to have this other half of my life that right now is only theory, would it change my decision? And how would that redefine what I thought it meant to be a successful woman? And moving on from that conversation, I realized, no, I don't have control over whether or not God decides to give me this family one day mm. or whether um, I'm able to have that role that I see really f women shining in their femininity when mm -hmm. they're when they're wives and mothers. How would that change the way I took on my life? And after a lot of prayer and a lot of tears and a lot of conversations with my parents, I realized that it wouldn't it, it wouldn't change my decision because mm -hmm. I had decided that I wanted to be a nurse for what the role of a nurse was, not just because of the nice schedule sure. and the nice pay and less schooling. Like that wasn't why I went into nursing. I went into nursing because I want to be able to care for people mm -hmm. and I want to be able to have that experience with them at the bedside. Oh. And specifically looking at what I want to do as a nurse, I, I make this joke now because of that conversation I had about not being able to choose to be a mother or a wife. Um, being a pediatric nurse is as mm. close to that as I can get. Right. So whether or not um, God does lead me down that road one day, I'm going to spend my life taking care of little kids who are sick. Mm. And that will be a side that I will always be like, I can choose that. Yeah. And that is, it took a lot of, a lot of time and it, it was a, it was a struggle to, to become perfectly content in that. But realizing that I am nothing less because of what I've chosen to do, even though society as a whole has told me that I am, mm. I think ultimately makes me stronger because wow. I'm so passionate about nursing and I'm so passionate about this definition we see in the Bible of what biblical women should be and look mm. like. Deborah here never felt like she was less important because of her role in sitting mm. in the chariot and encouraging or because of how she may have served as a different type of judge. Mm. I mean, we don't know of anyone else who sat at home under her tree and people right. came and spoke to her. She realized that she was different, but she was okay with that. And she loved that. And I, I just, I hope that from this, people can maybe see singleness differently and see women differently, mm -hmm. see themselves differently, that they can find fulfillment in different places of their lives that they may not even realize are right in front of them, are just standing right there ready to be um, explored mm -hmm. and embraced and um, paths that they may have not gone down if they had not really analyzed what their purpose was mm -hmm. and what God created them to be. Another point that I hear a lot when it comes to being content and being single and being content and being in a relationship or trying to figure out what career you're going to go down and what it means to live a meaningful life is that there's always that hole in your heart that only God can fill. And I think that has a dual application because obviously there is this special place in each of us as humans that needs to have that relationship with God. He put mm -hmm. that in us to desire him. 
to want to have that close, intimate connection with, with our creator. And that, again, is one of those phrases that's when used out of context in singleness seminars can kind of irk us a little bit. Where, well, yes, there's this hole in my heart that only God can fill. And just because I believe that he's there, I still feel like there's something missing. Like, what does that mean? How does, how does that connect? And I think that the other interpretation we can get from this is that there are holes in your heart and there are aspects of your life that only God can fill, but that doesn't necessarily mean he has to fill them with just himself. Mm. Like my, my hole in my heart could be filled with God and a really meaningful career as a picky nurse, or it could be fulfilled with God. And then he fills the hole by placing maybe a man or a husband in that, Mm. in that hole. And I think in the story of Deborah, we see that Barak had a hole in his life. Mm. He he had something that God should have been able to fill with him. Barak should have been able to go into battle with just the blessing of God. But God saw that he needed more than that. He yeah. saw that he needed a physical support. Mm-hmm. And so he fills that hole with Deborah. And it goes both ways here. Right. And I think realizing that is another thing that can help encourage people in trying to figure out what their life purpose is, is how can I, number one, fill holes in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And if I can identify my own holes, how can I better seek to connect with others and have them support me in my in my ultimate goal and desire, mm-hmm. which is to serve God. And Deborah lived a life I can only describe as being fully surrendered. Like she was open to anything. I mean, there's no reason to, to suggest that there was another judge before or after Deborah. This could have been something that was like a one-time thing that she had no example to follow. Mm. It was just her and God. And she was fully surrendered to the roles that he had given to her. And I think that's powerful, again, that she was willing to accept that responsibility without compromising her femininity. Mm. And ultimately, that's what I aspire to be. And that's what I, I hope many people aspire to do themselves. But I think perhaps the most profound thing that I've learned throughout this whole desire to understand what it means to to live a life of fully surrendered biblical femininity um, can only be found when you go very, very, very far back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden where God created the perfect the perfect woman. Mm. And um, what happened there really changed history. We all know what happened right. in the Garden changed history. And I went back to read the creation account with this in mind and something really... Um, really deep hit me mm. because we see in in Genesis that Satan was the first person to suggest to a woman that she was anything less than perfect. Wow. Like Satan was the first one to come up and tell her, you know, you're not you're not quite there yet. There's something that you're missing. Right, you can like, be this instead. You can be this instead. Like God didn't make you perfect. And like Satan himself was the first one to suggest to a woman that she wasn't good enough. Mm. And that alone speaks for itself. Right. But it goes on because at creation, Eve was Eve was a whole being. Mm-hmm. There was nothing left to be attained. She was not created to be a woman in relation to the donkeys or the giraffes or even to Adam. Like God had created her as a perfect creation. Mm-hmm. And in her being a perfect creation, her relation to everyone else was perfect. Her mm-hmm. relationship with Adam was perfect. Her relationship to the rest of creation was perfect. And there was nothing else that she had to make of herself. And I think that maybe is where women today struggle or men today struggle is that they feel like they've been created with this kind of level one 
this foundation, mm-hmm. this, you know, base model of humanity. And they're supposed to work on adding things to it. They're supposed to work on adding maybe the fancy career, the really high degree, the prestigious position, the nice car, mm-hmm. the fancy house, right. the really cute dog. Like we're, we're given this base model and then we're supposed to add on to that. But at creation, Eve was perfect. And I think if she had understood in the same way Deborah understood the beauty of being different and being perfectly content in the woman God created her to be, eternity could have been so different. I mean, imagine with me the impact that Eve could have had if at the tree, when the serpent came down to her and said, you eat this fruit, it'll it'll make you like God. Imagine what she could have said and how it would have changed the scope of history if she had looked at the serpent and said something like this. No, I don't want to be like God. <laughs> like, no, I, I don't want to be like God. I don't even need to be like Adam. Just like, let me be a woman. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, that's kind of where I feel like the essence of, mm-hmm. of this story gets down to is realizing that I don't want to be like God. I don't need to be like man. Like, let me be what God created me to be. And I think that's what God wanted for her. Right. Like, that's that's what God designed her to be. He made her perfect. He, she was his daughter. Everything she should have been. And that's the same thing he wants for me. That's the same thing he wanted for Deborah. But Deborah got it. She understood. And from looking at this story, both of Eve and of Deborah... I want to be like Deborah. <laughs> I want to I want to be that person. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And you've just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or harken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whythedidthat.org. We would love it if you could subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could go as far as leaving a review, that would be amazing. You can follow us on your favorite social media accounts, Facebook or Instagram, at Why They Did That. And of course, YouTube, where you can actually watch this episode now as well as listen to it. So make sure to check that out too. Finally, if you would like to support this podcast and keep it running, please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash WTDT. This show was produced by the supremely talented Paul Keefe and the video editing by Jonathan J.J. Jensen. And a special thank you to everyone else on the Why They Did That team. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.